Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to the Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm a professor at Grove City College, and I'm here with my two regular co-hosts, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, and the Right Reverend Todd Pruitt, Archbishop in the PCA in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Good to be with you both. Well, it's good to be with you, Carl, as always. Yeah, I know I, you're lying. I know you're lying, <laughs> but, but I appreciate this. Well, Todd and I I'm can sh- finally be in the same room together again, and, and exactly. we've, we've gone through a reconciliation process. <laughs> it's been arbitration. <laughs> there, there have been there have been various. Uh, threats of murder exchanged <laughs> that that sort of thing there was one rumor that that a hitman had been hired but uh which you know. interestingly enough brings us to the topic of the day it does doesn't mm-hmm. it even in my you know some years ago until i just gave up because the people who needed to listen had too much vested interest in not listening uh, <laughs> so you're probably not listening out there today but if you are now listen carefully uh, some years ago i i launched a number of salvos against what I described as the celebrity culture in the reformed evangelical world. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that the celebrity culture in reformed evangelicalism would ultimately, well, maybe not ultimately, but the latest stage would be stories circulating about a mega church evangelical pastor, former council member of the Gospel Coalition, attempting to hire a hitman to have an enemy or enemies. I think this, the street word is, is it rubbed out? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. This, right. we live, we live at the end of time, brothers. This, yes. yeah, this cannot get much worse. Yeah. The stories that have come out in the last week or so about James McDonald are absolutely uh, breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, it's extraordinary because, you know, you had, um, you know, the initial reports of his abusive behavior, um, spiritual abuse, bullying, just really over the top kind of mean spirited and overbearing abusive type of behavior. Then the revelations came out about his money mm-hmm. and, you know, he had income streams from that church and through his ministry that were adding up to a little over a million dollars a year of income. Plus on top of that, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Uh, on on discretionary spending that his church was giving him, we're talking about a wealthy man here, uh, you know, at, at the expense of his church. So all of that was bad enough. We were kind of left shell shocked by by how a pastor, not even a a health, wealth, prosperity pastor, but a pastor within our broader circles, you know, um, could could rise to that level of corruption. And then Carl, as you just mentioned, now the story's just coming out this week. Um, coming from at least four different sources in the latest article I just saw um, that uh, that he was seeking a hitman in this one story oh, I read nice. two of the people he yeah people the, the two, two of the people that have that have gone on record and, and have filed police reports um, said that he uh, he was seeking to hire a hitman for his son-in-law his ex son-in-law yeah. we should probably stress that these are all allegations Being investigated yes. by the allegations. Yeah. In the court of law. Right. but even They're to allegations have, 
even to what, have what? such allegations plausibly circulating. By a deacon from the right. and and the police, the Wilmette County Police have said that that two different individuals have formally filed mm -hmm. uh, reports, and it is being investigated. So yes, they are allegations, but it's not just like an internet rumor. You know, the, 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 he is actually under investigation by the police. So we thought for, it would be fitting, you know, but maybe our listeners would benefit hearing nine reasons why you should not hire a hitman <laughs> about your enemies. <laughs> That's right. We, we originally thought of seven reasons, but then two more came to mind quickly. Well, so there's actually nine. Yeah. Desiring God are going to come up with seven reasons why you shouldn't hire a hitman. We need to outflank them. <laughs> so we're here for you guys. So yeah, yeah, the number exactly. one. Now, but let me, hold on. Let me, let me just, let me just, in case anybody forgets uh, that little reference that, uh, that Amy and then Carl made uh, about the, 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 the seven reasons not to hire a hitman that were going to come from Desiring God. That goes back a couple years because Desiring God had rather famously written a post, seven reasons not to send nude selfies. Because yeah. we were pretty sure, you know, there was probably just one really that good That really one. helped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm told you need nine good reasons, not any. So, you know, we, we need another two reasons right. on Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So um, now we, we, we think about this James McDonald situation um, and we, we think, you know, that's so outrageous. It's so lifetime movie of the week kind of stuff. And yet it's actually going on. And again, those of us within our circles, we can, you know, I think we kind of flatter ourselves, think, you know, we can see that happening in some kind of a strange uh, you know, health, wealth, and prosperity, Creflo dollar sort of thing. Um, but that it happened, you know, that this was going on in a church and, and in a pastor that had been, you know, widely regarded, had a big uh, radio ministry um, who would, by and large, except for perhaps some things dealing with baptism and, and some, some church governance things, we, we could probably sign the same statement of faith with uh, would be involved in these kinds of things i, I think we should also add as well that, uh, and this is where maybe it, it starts to hit home a bit you know it's easy for us to sit back and say well wow we don't have that kind of money we don't have that kind of power we're not going to be hiring hitmen anytime soon mm -hmm. to rub out our I, I think it's always important to remember that that power corrupts within the circles where you have it Mm -hmm. The pastor of a 12-member church can be an abusive, unaccountable celebrity mm -hmm. within that tiny, anonymous, unknown context. It's why in the Catholic Church, but also it's, it's becoming more, more obvious that this has taken place in evangelicalism as well, sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have sexual abuse. Sexual abuse is not the, the monopoly of a big church. Right. It happens in small churches too. Mm -hmm. The man who preaches to 12 people but abuses his power over them in, it stands as indicted as, as James McDonald. So mm -hmm. one of the things I'd want to do in, in this discussion is say, we need to resist the temptation of, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men. Right. I mean, there's a sense in which we can say, I thank you, Lord, I've never wanted to hire a hitman. I'm genuinely <laughs> thankful. Well, I've wanted to. I've wanted to. I've just never actually tried. Well, I, I talked you out of it because Matt would not have been happy if <laughs> right, Amy right. had been rubbed out. Mm -hmm. As much true. as I could true. sympathize with the way you were thinking that yeah. day. Um, <laughs> but I, I think we need to realize that, that it doesn't matter which circles you operate in, that human temptation 
to make ourselves the center and to abuse our power and to abuse the resources, however limited they may, may be, that are at our disposable, uh, disposal. That's a perennial for all pastors everywhere, for all people everywhere. Yeah, and, uh, right. We need to think about how do we have checks and balances in place to mitigate the risk right. of because self-harm. The, because, the, because the fact is, a church the size of Harvest Bible Chapel <clears throat> is very rare, very rare. Yeah. The vast yeah. majority of churches are rather small you know the average church is quote a smaller church and and we know that plenty of spiritual abuse and and celebrity if you like type behavior goes on in churches of a hundred people you know it it happens in those contexts as well Mm -hmm. so what are some like um temptations Mm -hmm. that we can be prone to in our own local circles we like to be told good things about ourselves yeah and um uh, and, and if you end up with the kind of power to leverage that or to, um, to lean on people so that for whatever reason, they become intimidated to tell you anything that you don't want to hear, mm. then it's easy to seize upon that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that kind of, I mean, just before recording this program, I had my second semester student evaluations come through. And I always hate, I always hate getting student evaluations. Mm-hmm. It makes me realize, yeah, a lot of my identity is, tap, is tied in with my reputation in the classroom. Sure. So I feel very, very vulnerable when I have to read anonymous comments written by mm-hmm. students who can say what they want with impunity about me. <laughs> but I also think it's a very valuable experience. Yeah. It's useful to know that, you know, 99 out of 100 of my students think I'm brilliant. Of course. <laughs> but, you know. There's always there's always one the outlier. There's always one outlier who just uh-huh. doesn't get it, you know. <laughs> Seriously, I think it's it's helpful to look at the criticism. Some of it unfair, some of it fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a mechanism for critical feedback mm-hmm. that allows you to not only to improve but also to remain or to become humble is important. Mm-hmm. We often think about feedback as a way of improving which it is, but I also think feedback is important for for humbling. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know, Amy, so much going back to, to kind of your, your question has to do with um, so, so much of it has to do with a, a, because of the unique way that a pastor functions because of the unique role that a pastor has and how different it is than so many other types of, of work environments or, or professions. A, 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 a pastor has to police himself a lot. On, on these things and 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 we don't like to do that now that's why certain imposed structures are important like Carl mentioned if you're a professor in a lot of institutions you're going to get student evaluations and that's all there is to it um, this is why churches need um, elders that function like elders um, and and you know one of the things that as you read for instance what was going on at Harvest Bible Chapel is they have elders but they didn't function as elders ought to function. Mm-hmm. It, it may be that they did at one time, right? but I think, I think one of the things that's true as for, you know, for pastors is that uh, we have to be very, very careful of our success mm-hmm. if we have success because, because that gives us influence. And one of the things I, I noticed about being a pastor in a, in a Southern Baptist church when I was a younger man, and there had been rapid growth and significant growth in that church. I went from being somebody who nobody in our state convention would have known to, to a guy who now people knew my name and wanted me to speak at things. 
and people in our church wanted to make sure they didn't lose me because mm-hmm. our church had grown so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and it, now, now, fortunately, God guarded our hearts and, you know, helped me avoid temptations and, and thank God for that. But I remember being, you know, having dis- discussions about this, about how dangerous this can be, because suddenly I was viewed as, you know, we got to keep Todd. Yeah. What a strong gotta temptation that you're indispensable yeah. uh-huh. to God's work here. Yeah. Yep. And, and I'm not suggesting that pastors ought to, ought to treat their pastors like they can, or that churches ought to treat their pastors like they're just something that they can throw away. However, a <laughs> pastor has to think of himself as highly, highly, inter, highly, highly disposable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of it, I think, as well, can be done by pastors uh, taking places of humble service within the church. Mm-hmm. I got a friend, uh, Craig Troxell. Quick plug for mm-hmm. Westminster, California. Craig's just taken the. Uh, Chair of Practical Theology out in Westminster, California. He's an old friend uh, um, and uh, uh, an esteemed OPC pastor. He's had a couple of long pastorates in the OPC. Uh, Craig's comment to me once was that, you know, every pastor should know where the toilet plunger is in his church. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a dramatic way of saying, you know, every pastor needs to be involved in the thick and thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every pastor should be involved in some level in, in serving humbly in the church. It isn't just right. about getting up in the pulpit. Because Todd, you and I know both know this, and it's more the classroom for me and, and the pulpit for you, but getting up in front of a crowd of people is a buzz. Yes. When, when, when you're launching into flights of rhetoric and you, you're in right. control of the material uh, and you're, you're seeing light bulbs going on in heads mm-hmm. left, right, yeah. and center, you're not just doing it for the glory of the Lord. Right. You know, there's, there's something in there that it uh, feels I mean, really it good. It feels good. And you yeah. need something mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to check you. Yeah. On. And I think, and I think this is oftentimes why pastors have, have, why it's so common for pastors to have a, a kind of a Monday morning emotional crash yeah. because they hit such an emotional high on Sunday because <clears throat> it feels really good when you're preaching well and you know, you're preaching well, it feels really good. And, and this is why I, I always tell pastors to not despise whatever the Lord gives them that mm. makes them unhappy Yeah, because uh, a, a pastor without a, a serious thorn in his side um, is, is a danger to himself and others. And so, you know, I, w- I was talking to somebody just the, the, the other day about the fact that um, after, a, a, you know, a couple of decades of doing this, <clears throat> Um, I still on uh, Saturday evenings go through a lot of anxiety and I wake up Sunday morning going, I'm terrible. This is going to be awful, mm. you know? And, uh, and, and I, I don't, people have asked me, you know, uh, that I need to get over that and stop. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure it would be a good thing for yeah. me yeah. To, to get over that. Um, because I, that, that's one of the fences that the Lord's put in my life to keep me be from becoming what I think I otherwise could become. Yeah. I think another yeah. temptation would be um, dishonesty because you want to present yourself yes. uh, yeah, as a godly leader. Yes. And it, I can imagine that it's difficult to be honest about sin in your own life. Not that you have to overshare yes. that, you know, and there's, right. there's boundaries mm-hmm. of how much you share about that. Right. But um, especially with those whom you're accountable right. to, who, uh, are there with yeah. um, 
spiritual guidance for you. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, th I think you're, I think the key you make there, which is important is um, be, be honest, be, be really upfront and as transparent as, as the Lord gives you grace to be with, with a certain circle of people mm -hmm. um, acknowledge in general terms before your congregation, that you're a man with clay feet. Mm. Um, uh, but not too specific as you point out, mm -hmm. Amy, because I, 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 I cringe when I hear pastors share too much about certain sexual <laughs> temptations. They should not do that in front of a congregation because it could be a stumbling block that said um, they should not present themselves as being above. So above, um, the fray of temptation that uh, that they present an unrealistic view of, of themselves. But of course, and this, but you know, sin is so clever. Of course, in that over emoting and over confessing can itself oh, yeah. be aware oh, yeah. of manipulating. Look how really. mature, particularly in in our in our culture, that says that 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 authenticity is the highest virtue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's expressive individualism, and there's dishonesty the there as well. Yes, yeah. this is where it really helps to be an uptight lower middle class Englishman from the 70s and the 80s, because we don't do that kind of stuff. And it makes us very uncomfortable when other right. people do it, uh, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or how about, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, one thing I, you know, I notice in a lot of the downfalls of, of these powerful pastors and, and these celebrity pastors is that they manipulate people. You know, the mm -hmm. very people that they're serving, they're yes. manipulating. And right. instead of them as the leaders serving others, they expect everyone else to serve them. Absolutely. And I could see Absolutely. that being a temptation in some ways, you know, when you become right. super popular. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's like, Amy, what, what we mentioned earlier about the fact that, you know, in, in the James McDonald situation, again, this was not a health, wealth, prosperity church. Mm -hmm. This was a church whose, whose leadership preached against that kind of theology. And nevertheless, were, were paying their pastor a salary of over half a million dollars, um, housing expense um, of over quarter million dollars, um, quote, discretionary spending, a discretionary budget of $200,000. Um, you know, it, it can happen in churches whose theology says that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this was a point. I hate to say I told you so, guys, but I did. <laughs> uh, this is a point I made in, in some of my early anti-celebrity stuff. The point yeah. was the theology is just a commodity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the theology can be prosperity gospel or it can be five points of Calvinism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's what you do with it. Mm -hmm. if, if it's very cool. Remember, we, talk, we coined the term, I think, coolvinism in an yeah. early uh, uh, mortification spin. Mm -hmm. In an era where five points of Calvinism or four points of Calvinism, whatever, is, is, is a marketable commodity, then you can sell it the same as you right. could yeah. sell a prosperity yeah. doctrine. Yeah. And I, I think that's a key that a lot of us ordinary Christians get taken in by the idea that if somebody's theology is orthodox, everything must be well. Well, that's not the case at all. Mark Driscoll clearly demonstrated that. Mark Driscoll's buddy, James McDonald, is now the next uh, textbook example right. of that. Yeah. And, as I say, and you can trace that right the way down to a small OPC church. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily, right. it's not necessarily uh, immune to this because maybe the pulpit is the only place where that guy gets to be a big man. 
Mm-hmm. That right. guy gets to tell people what to do and yeah. to settle his scores with the world. Mm-hmm. This is, it brings us back to the elders. It's where mature elders are so important. Right. I do believe that the primary task of the elder relative to the pastor is to shield him from criticism and attacks from the congregation. Mm-hmm. But that is not to say that the loyalty is to be an uncritical one. Right. Uh, elders are there to protect the pastor from himself as well mm-hmm. and yeah. from the sycophants and friends that he may choose to surround himself. With. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the, the elders have to do both of those things well. And sometimes they, they, they do one well and do a horrible job on the other. I was serving at a church um, in another state uh, for a while and very early on in my tenure, uh, one of the elders who, who happened to be a very powerful professional man in this large city um, took me out to dinner and he looked me straight in the eyes and he pointed at me and he said, my job is to protect the church from you. Now, there would have no idea what city you're talking about <laughs> or which yeah. congregation. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but now there's a way to go about that. That is winsome and that is yeah. helpful for the pastor to say, hey, I'm your friend and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to defend you against unfair attacks. And I'm also because you're a sinner, I'm also going to make sure that, that I keep an eye on, on you so that you don't become someone who hurts the congregation. Absolutely. I'm with that all the way. Um, but, we, but we also know that, that you can have an elder that sees himself immediately as someone whose job it is to... Uh, to attack the pastor. And in the same way, you have elders who become sycophants to the pastor. Mm -hmm. And this is where it becomes deadly to the congregation. And that's why churches with otherwise really solid theology end up making a millionaire out of their pastor. Or if it's a smaller church, end up making the church his little fiefdom from which he rules and reigns over people's lives. And it can happen in churches with, it does happen in churches with great theology. Yeah. So what, another big question, you know, especially looking at something as outrageous as the James McDonald hitman stuff. um, What is it that makes people in a congregation uh, allow and contribute to such unchecked power in a, in their pastor? Like, um, because I think congregants have to think about this as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Because oftentimes these uh, these abusive pastors are 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 men who didn't necessarily start out in their ministry that way, right. but they became that. Mm-hmm. Now they made choices to become that, but it oftentimes doesn't happen in a vacuum. Yeah, I mean they contribute are, to it, and yep. and what makes yep. people contribute to this kind of. Mm-hmm. Raising up one super uber powerful right. person. Um, right. What is attractive yep. about that? Yep. Um, yep. And why don't you, you know, pursue um, discipline there as a yeah. lay person yeah. and all of that? Mm-hmm. I think there's a deep seated part of American culture that exalts the great celebrity. Uh, I, I think it's less so certainly in the Europe that I grew up in. You even see it in sports teams here. Often when you think of a sports team, you think of the big name quarterback. Whereas in the UK, for example, in in 
what we call football, you call soccer. I'll translate for the mm-hmm. audience. Uh, you know, you tend to think of the team. May, you know, David Beckham would be a kind of exception. Mm-hmm. That David Beckham ended up bigger than the team in some ways. Mm-hmm. But there is something about American culture that looks to the strong man to fix it. Maybe it's having a powerful executive branch of government. Is that a cause or an effect or, or, or just a contributing factor of that? But I think the, the idea of, of a big strong man is very attractive in American culture, mm-hmm. ties yeah. to Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it, 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 it spills over into the church. And what's attractive to the little people like us is if you're connected to the strong man in some way, then you get a little bit of the charisma. Right. Um, and it's, you know, I had to laugh a few years ago and I read something by Al Mola criticizing the Caudillo culture, you know, the, the South American strongman culture or something. I'm thinking, he's your consummate Southern <laughs> Baptist Caudillo. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Al Mola. You don't yeah. talk about Southern Seminary so much as Al Mola. That's right. not a criticism of Al Mola, but it is a criticism of the way that he funk, you know, he's, yeah. his followers make him function within, within the culture. Right. Uh, we, and we, I think we, James McDonald, I saw it a little bit in, in Philly where, you know, a, a big preacher comes to one church and people will defect from the other right. big preacher church to go to that church because right. they want a piece of the action. Whereas for me, it's, no, you took vows and you're in this right. congregation and they may have a better preacher than you. Well, that's tough. Appreciate yeah. the man you've got. Keep working yeah. at the at the church you're at. Now, the attraction of the big man is is very runs very deep in American culture. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's I think that's accurate, and and it comes to be in our churches where, and again, it, it ties into this idea of success, particularly you know the the, the pastors who are safe for the long haul um, are the pastors whose churches are growing numerically mm. uh, because because everybody wants their church to get bigger and. And we, you know, and, you know, it's understandable why somebody would credit the, the, the senior pastor for that, because people come to a church where there's good preaching and that, that sort of thing. But, but it puts him in, it puts him in real jeopardy spiritually. Success is the great sacraments of the American church. Mm. Sure. It's sure. a means of grace. Yeah. Well, I do think too, yeah. that it's easy to, to have that mindset again, even as you know, the congregants that this person is particularly tied to God's mission and, mm-hmm. and indispensable from God's work here. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, we put our faith in a person mm-hmm. instead of um, in the God who builds this church. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it's, it, it, there, there's a tension because, um, you know, elders uh, are, are tasked with a role of leadership. Goodness, you know, you have Hebrews 13, obey your, you know, your, your, your leaders because they have watch over your soul. Now, obviously that, that has to be taught well, and we have to give the qualifications of of what kind of obedience this is. This isn't the obedience where a guy comes into your home and tells you what you need to be eating every week and, and, uh, you know, goes through your wardrobe and that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a, It's Sorry, a, just the image of somebody coming in and going through my terrifying. Might have to do that for Carl. Might have to do that. Oh, but you know, you have to bring all those things in. But you know, it, it, there's certain texts that can be taken out of context. Right. Certain principles, clear biblical principles, that can be lifted out of their context and used in a way to create an, an unhealthy, abusive leader. Now, 
you know, the, the, the remedy for that is, is not cutting Hebrews 13 out of your Bible, but, but it's, it's putting it in context well, with the rest of That's the hard part, I think, too, is yeah, we have to be critical thinkers. We have to use discernment. We have to, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to give the benefit of the doubt and, and, and that is, yep. there's just a lot of wisdom in spiritual growth. And mm-hmm. um, yep. instead of exercising wisdom and growing in that, yeah. I think it's so easy to just put yeah. your faith in a person. Um, right. You know, we do yeah, that with our favorite teachers as well. I can't tell you how many times, you know, and I speak a lot about reading with discernment, um, mm-hmm. especially with women's ministries and, and right. resources, and people always want a list. You know, right. tell me who is safe to right. read, right. tell me who not to read. And I, right. you know, I push against that every time. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to say read well, whoever it yeah. is. You know, one thing, Amy, we, we've talked on this program before about what we've called, you know, sanctified common sense or, right. or wisdom. And, and it's, it's like, um, uh, again, on the James Donald, McDonald situation, I can't find you a verse that says, don't give your pastor $250,000 of discretionary spending right. every year. But, but wisdom says you don't do that. principles that you can go right. to. Yeah. Wisdom sure. says, don't do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah. And that brings us to, yeah. Back to the wisdom literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and cultivating Christian virtues. Right, right. Yeah, you know, again, that's something Roman Catholicism is big on in its theology. The notion of virtues has not been pursued greatly in Protestantism, and I think to our detriment, mm-hmm. yeah. because if you're cultivating good character, then some of these problems are mitigated. Uh, right, right. So. Well, the good thoughts, and um, <laughs> you know, clearly a conversation that continues to to need to be had because. Um, our pastors, our spiritual leaders, um, the, the best, you know, the, the best pastors are still, you know, men at best. Um, we, we can fall, we can, left to ourselves, we can do really stupid and even worse than stupid things. And so we need the whole body. We need the sharpening that comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we certainly need the partnership and the accountability of, of elders and churches have to be responsible. Um, to understand that and to practice it well. Well, one of the things that uh, uh, we like to do is to make good resources available. And if you'll hop over to our website, mortificationofspin.org, we're going to be giving away a a book from a pastor that we have a lot of respect for, uh, Kent Hughes, and his book, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And uh, uh, several of our fortunate uh, uh, listeners uh, will receive a free copy of that wonderful book. If you don't have Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome in your library, you need to have it in your library. You need to read it and take it to heart. Uh, Dr. Hughes offers wonderful counsel in that book. And while you're at our website, please remember that Mortification of Spin is a listener-supported podcast, and uh, any donation that you make to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals will help them uh, to continue to provide content like this. Well, we're glad that you joined us. We look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin. When you're a celebrity, it's adios Soy? Do you taste soy? I can fall in and out of love Have marriages that barely last a month When they go down the drain I blame it on the fame And say it's just so tough Be 
show you how ridiculous this happened. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... One thing the Psalms show us is my pastor took a break from his sermon series to preach on Psalm 13 because there's been a lot of suffering in our church right now, and and he wants to help and how to suffer well. You know, he talked about how the Psalms teach us, you know, what we can say to God, even, because sometimes we think we can't say these things. That interview is next time. Join us then. Did I ever tell you about the reviews on my lawyer's website? He got these clients' reviews, and there was this one review that said, I was facing a charge of aggravated kidnapping and 20 years in prison, and David got me off with a fine and 10 hours of community service. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The next time I kidnap, I'm using him again. I murdered my entire family. I was fined 50 bucks. All I had to do was pick up trash on the side of the road for a week. Yeah. (laughs)